You are listening to an audio recording from Family Life Church. It is our wish that you will receive hope from God's Word. Now on to today's message. Well, let me be the first to say today, welcome home. Aren't you glad to be at your church home today, around your church family? Why don't you high-five somebody and tell them, say, it's good to see you. I'm excited to be with you today. Uh, we're going to start a new series today called The Power of One. And for me personally, anytime a title has the word power in it, I get pretty excited. The Power of One. We're going to talk about this for the next several weeks as we head into the Easter season. And I want to share a perspective with you from the Word today. So if you'll open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and we'll begin reading in verse 4. Jesus here is telling a story about sheep and a shepherd, and he brings out a principle that's really important to us here. And so I want to jump right into this. The scripture says this, that if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one? Somebody shout, the one that is lost until he finds it. Now, this is a rhetorical question. Jesus is not confused. He's not wondering what the answer is. He's making a point here. And the point that he is making is this, is that a good shepherd cares about sheep that have strayed off and are now lost. And he says, in fact, they're so important to him that he'll leave the other 99 to go after the one, the one. And maybe I don't know about you, but if you've ever had an experience in your life where you've straight off, wandered off, and gotten lost before, but it's no fun. I've, plenty of times in my life I've gotten lost while driving. There's one major story in my life I won't even tell today because my family will continue to ridicule me for the story. But I do remember when I was about 19 years old, I, uh, my, the summer after I graduated from high school, a year later, I moved to California. But right before I moved to California, I had just met a beautiful young woman, absolutely amazing girl. And uh, I, I met her, and we kind of we kind of fell in like. And so um, couldn't really call it love at the time yet. You know, you know how it is. But we knew we liked each other. We liked being around each other. She was absolutely fun, energetic, and beautiful. And so uh, we kind of were hanging out a little bit and. About a week after we'd started hanging out and things were kind of starting to click and we felt like, hey, this might be something we're interested in. Uh, about a week later, I moved to California. Smart, right? It's a little advice for all you guys out there that are looking for that one. When you find them, don't move 3,000 miles away. You can help it at all. So I moved to California, joined a band out there, played in a band for a while and uh, with my brother and some of the guys and uh, so I spent a year out there, and finally, after that year was over, I moved back to Ohio. And I had a great time, but then, you know, it's kind of the way things went, I moved back to Ohio. And when I did, one of the first things I did is I reached out to try to connect with this young lady, this beautiful young lady, just awesome, talented, amazing young woman. So I reached out, and sure enough, we get together, and we start talking, reminiscing, and so on. But as it would turn out, we were both in relationships, she was in a relationship, I was in a relationship. So we spent most of our time counseling each other on those relationships. 
I spend most of my time trying to talk her out of her relationship. But we would counsel each other on relationships and so on. And so we were kind of reconnected as friends. Well, not long after that, uh, we both ended the relationships that we were in, not, not necessarily for any other reason, but they just came to an end as relationships like that do early in life tend to do sometimes. And so those relationships ended and we were left with just each other and said, this is the way it's meant to be. And so one night in a car sitting behind Montgomery Ward talking about our future, we said, let's make this official. We're going to be an item. We're going to let everybody know that we like each other. We want to be together. Six months later, we were engaged. Six months after that, we were married. And yesterday, we celebrated 28 years of marriage. And you are the best. Love you so, so much. And I'm so grateful that I came back, that I came back because Pastor Kathy is absolutely the woman for me. I know that God has destined us to be together, and we absolutely cannot believe it's been 28 years. It literally feels like we're still in year one, and we love it. Love, love, love it. But I was lost. I wandered off, went out to pursue my own thing. Thank God I came back and connected to the love of my life. I believe today when we read Luke chapter 15, what Jesus is saying is this. The shepherd loves his sheep. And whenever one of them wanders off and pursues their own path, he's constantly always trying to bring them back. In fact, he will leave the 99 to go and find the one. I believe that today, if you are in a place where you're in a relationship with Christ, then you know what it's like to be the one. Because often when we think about Luke chapter 15 and what Jesus is saying here, we think about other people. Read the story of the lost sheep and we think about others. We think about our friends, maybe some of our family members, people that we work with, that we know are not in a relationship with God. And we say, God, they're lost without you and pray that they would come into relationship with you. And we think about all these people around us and it makes sense, it's not inaccurate for us to think that way. But what I want to share with you today is not only are those that you know in your life the one, but that you are also the one. You're the one. Maybe today you've said yes to Christ and you know what it was like to be the one that's been rescued. If you've said yes to Jesus, then you know the grace and the peace and the joy that comes with your loving shepherd having rescued you from lostness back to being found. And you're grateful today. If you're in a place today where you are the one right now because you're not in a relationship with Christ, you're wandering, following your own path, I can share, share with you now and people in here, every, everybody in here that knows Christ will agree with this. Your day is coming. The shepherd is after you. He's coming after you. Why? Because he loves you and wants to rescue you. Maybe you were at a place where once you were rescued, but then you wandered off again. But now God's looking for you again. And soon you're saying, I want to be the one again. 
There are all kinds of places that we can be in our journey, but here's what we know never changes. God's love never changes. The eye of the shepherd is always looking for those who need to be won back to him. But today I want to begin by recognizing that one day we were the one. That one day we were like that lost sheep. In fact, I want to read this in in Isaiah chapter 5, or chapter 53 and verse 6. Because often we think, you know, there are other people. In fact, as I was walking through that, you might have been thinking of friends. I've been thinking of friends all morning. Friends that I, they're good people. But they're distant from God. And that's the definition of lost. The definition of lost isn't necessarily desperate isn't necessarily depressed, isn't necessarily the wheels are falling off in life. The definition of lost is simply separated from God. That's the definition. And so when Jesus talks about in Luke, the lost sheep, this is what he's talking about. He's saying at one point, that sheep was in the flock. It was in the fold of the shepherd, but then it wandered off and the shepherd went to find it. And so I know we think of other people in, in, in future messages on this topic in the weeks to come. We'll talk about that. Why do, why do others come up to us? Why do those names pop up in our heart, pop up in our mind when we think about the idea of one being lost from God? We're going to talk about why that comes up and what we're supposed to do with it. But today I want to focus on what Isaiah says, and that is this. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, he says, all of us. All of us, just like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. All of us have, like sheep, gone astray. All of us. Look at somebody and just tell them, say, all of us. All of us. We all have followed our own path. So as we talk about these friends, we got to recognize at one point, that was me. There was a point in my life where that was me. I was the lost sheep. I was the one that needed rescued. I was the one trying to figure it out on my own. But thank God, in his grace and his love, he saw fit to come find me, to rescue me. Anybody today thankful that you've been rescued by God, by the shepherd? We were the one. Maybe you are the one today. Maybe you were the one and now you are the one again, wherever we are in our journey. I think it's critical to recognize that our, not only are our friends and our family members the one, but we are the one as well. And here's why that matters. It matters because it creates compassion in us. When we recognize our own journey, where we've been, where God has brought us to, it creates a compassion inside of us for others who are on that same path. And I want to just give you an opportunity today to give God some thanks. If you're in a place where you've been rescued, God's brought you back. We're going to talk more about this in today's message as we get toward the end. But if you're in a place today where you realize you've been rescued, you are one of those lost sheep that has now been found, I want to encourage you just to give God a great big, (laughs) that was pretty sad. 
But I want to go further in this. Here's my hope. My hope is to stir a reminder in you for what God has done for you. So we're going to look at some scriptures in Romans. Turn to your Bibles in Romans. We're beginning Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. And I just want to remind us today of our destiny without God so that we can more fully appreciate our destiny with him. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says this, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. When it says everyone has sinned, that's everybody in this room and everybody outside of this room. No exceptions. Every one of us. None of us were born into righteousness. We all at some point had to choose it. Even those of us who are raised in the church, fed bottles every week on the front pew, stayed arrived first and left last every weekend of my entire life. But I still had to say yes to Jesus for myself. I was lost. I was without God. I was destined for an eternity separated from him. And I'll never forget the day at 14 years old where I consciously on my own outside of the church building said, God, I've just assumed my whole life that I was a Christian. And I probably was, but there was a reckoning that day for me where it became personal. And I said, God, I choose you consciously, not because my mom and dad are pastors and that's what's expected of me. Not because I probably prayed this prayer 463 times in Sunday school, but because right now, consciously, Tom, Tony, I decide you are my Lord and Savior. I had to make that decision. Everybody on the face of the earth, if they're going to spend eternity with God, has to make that choice. Why? Because all of us have sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. I love this next word, yet. Somebody say yet. 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 I want to encourage you by faith today. If you're believing for something great in your life, a breakthrough in your life, whether it's financial, spiritual, relational, if it's in your job, your career, your mind, if you're believing for a breakthrough and you're not there and the enemy tries to talk you out of it, I want you just to use this word against him. I'm not there yet. Just because I'm not there doesn't mean I'm not going to get there. Just because I might have been lost in a season of my life doesn't mean I won't be found. Just because I moved to California doesn't mean God couldn't design a path back to the most amazing woman on the face of the earth so we could spend our lives together doing his work. Yet. Somebody say yet. We were lost, church. Every one of us sinned and falling short. Yet, God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. We're righteous. You might have felt what it feels like to feel unrighteous. Probably felt that way this morning getting ready for church. You might have lost your righteousness. If you have kids, a high likelihood... You sacrificed a little bit of righteousness to get to church today. 
but God says that we are righteous. How did he do this? He did it through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty of sins, we're free today. Who's excited to be free? Free. We're free. Somebody shout out, I'm free. See, listen, you don't have to feel free to be free. <laughs> you can be free in the middle of feeling like hell's breaking loose in your life. You can stand up and declare, I'm righteous and I'm free. Why is that? Because I've been rescued by my shepherd. I've been rescued by God. He's brought me out of lost into found, and I am free. So here's the thing. A lot of people today are saying yes to Jesus, but then allowing the habits of the past and the events of the past to keep them in a state where they don't feel free. Can I encourage you today? The Bible says, he who the Son has set free is free indeed. What does that mean? Free without question. Free without caveat. Free without condition. Free. Somebody say, I'm free. Say, Pastor, I don't feel free. Doesn't matter how you feel. I don't feel five foot eight, but I am. I don't feel 51, but I am. I don't feel like we've been married 28 years, but we have been. Come on, somebody. You don't have to feel it for it to be true. In fact, we know, not only spiritually, psychologists and scientists are finding out today what God has said from the beginning of time. If we will speak it, it'll be our reality. I'm telling you. See, we think scientists, when they discover something, we think they made it. It's like they discovered it and it never existed before they discovered it. No, they're just finding out what God has said all along. You don't have to feel free to be free. Oh, this is going to preach for a little. I mean, come on. What what did that sheep do when it got lost? Church, it was free already when it was found. What do I mean by that? Because as soon as the shepherd started looking, its freedom was on the way. That, that, before that sheep ever got out of that craggy mountain place, it was free already because the shepherd was on his way. I'm telling you, you may not feel it in your body. You may not see it in your pocketbook. You may not see it in your relationship. But if you'll stand in faith and keep saying, I'm free, Jesus set me free. I'm righteous. There's coming a day when it's going to line up. Then you're going to see it in your body. You're going to see it in your reality. Why? Because you're already free. The Bible says that God has made you righteous. It's done. No questions asked. Can't be taken from you. It's good news. It's good news. I get a little excited about it. I don't know if you can tell. We've been free. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Watch this. People are made right with God. How? How are people made right with God? Or made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. If you're a believer here today, if you've said yes to Jesus, if you've said, Jesus, I believe in you, I believe that God raised you from the dead, I'm asking you to be my savior, forgive me of my sins, be my Lord, I make you my lead, the leader of my life. If you've prayed that prayer, 
then you've done this. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, with the heart one believes unto what? What's that word? Righteousness. With our heart, we believe unto righteousness. And then what happens? With the mouth, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So if you've ever in your heart said, man, I believe in Jesus. I believe this is real. I don't know if I believe that he can love me in a way that would say, if he'd really come after me, there's sometimes a hurdle of believing to get over that. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he is who he says he is. And then we confess with our mouth. And I mean, opening up those lips and flapping that tongue and saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you will forgive me of my sins. So I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins, of my past. And most importantly, forgive me for not walking with you. Come into my life. Be my leader. I make you my Savior, my Lord. The Bible says that when we do that, that is how people are made right with God. People are not made right with God by getting involved in causes. We're not made right with God by being nice to our neighbor. We're not made right by God by being unselfish and walking in humility. We're not made right by God by giving all of our stuff away for the good of other people. None of those things make us right with God. You can be the most kind, benevolent, sincere, giving person on the face of the earth and die and go to hell without Christ. Be separated from God for eternity. Because lost means to be without God. But I believe with all of my heart today that once you say yes to Jesus Christ, you become all those things that we just mentioned. Why? Because it's the character of God, the expression of God through us, through grace. Come on. When you recognize that you've been saved, it just stirs a little bit of gratitude in your life. Stirs a little bit of gratitude. It also stirs compassion for others. How many of you have ever gone through a crisis in your life, and prior to going through the crisis, you would have looked at other people who went through a similar crisis and just shook your head and been like, can't believe them. It's crazy. Just ridiculous. And then a month later, you go through that same crisis, and you're like, God love those people. Lord, I'm praying for every person that's ever experienced that. Why? Because now it belongs to you. Now you've experienced it. Church, where's our voice where it concerns the love that God has for us to rescue us from being lost? It should stir a passion in us that causes us to go, where where are some other lost sheep? We need to get after some other lost sheep because God has rescued me. Everybody needs rescued. Everybody needs rescued. And this rescuing isn't just for the good people. It's for the worst of the worst. Every liar, cheater, stealer, murderer, you go down the list. You name the worst that you can think of, and God wants them rescued, saved. And the same is true for us. We all have sinned. Let's just admit it. We've all sinned, and we've fallen short of God's glory. Yet, (laughs) yet God in his free and graciousness has made us alive with Christ. He's made us righteousness through Jesus Christ. Anybody thankful for it today? In Romans chapter five, in verse eight, I wanna read this. It says this, but God showed his great love for us 
by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have, made, have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. I'm going to come back to that word in a second. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies. Here's a concept. Do things so that your enemy can be restored to a friendship with you. I'm going to pause a second here. Let us just soak this in. Might be a bit counterintuitive. What can we do to create a path so that our enemies can once again become our friends? I want you just to think for a second about all the knuckleheads in your life that you've closed the door to. Think about all the paths that you've covered up, let become overgrown, so there's no longer a path there, and you're fine with it. I'm fine with that. If I never have to talk to him again, if I never have to see him again, it'll be too soon. And what I want you to see and to sense and to feel is what if God did that to us? What if we transgressed God's law, and by the way, we all have, and God said, that's it, done. Choose your own path, you go for it. And he just began to let things grow back over on that path to the place where you'd never find your way back. What if God just wrote you off? Aren't you glad God did not write you off? Three days ago when you did that thing you knew you shouldn't do. Are you glad he didn't write you off then? A year ago, 20 years ago, three weeks from now, (laughs) when you make that misstep, aren't you glad God's going to go, there's still a path for you, baby. There's still a way. While we were his enemy, (laughs) God said, I got a way to make this right. I have a way that we can be restored to friendship. And because you chose Jesus, you're now a friend of God. Isn't that exciting? I'm a friend of God. I'm God's friend. Why? Because God kept the door open to me. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for keeping the door open to me. Thank you. I really do sincerely appreciate it. Now, this condemnation, this word condemnation, is might not be what you think it might be. In fact, one translation, uh, the New King James and the King James both say wrath, wrath. And this word wrath, we, we might default to a certain definition of the word wrath, but there are two, at least two definitions of the word, word wrath, two different words that are used. And the word that's used here for wrath is different from what we would expect it to be. We think of wrath in terms of judgment. It's over, we're gonna bring the wrath, right? God's gonna squash us. And a lot of people think, of God's wrath in those terms. And certainly there is that definition of wrath where it concerns God's wrath, where people died as a result of the wrath of God. They were destroyed because of the wrath of God. But that is not this word. This word is different. This word that's used here means desire, desire coupled or with or mixed with grief. Desire mixed with grief. And it's the picture of a parent who wants their child to do the right thing, 
but the child keeps doing the wrong thing. And there's this conflict in the heart of the parent because on the one hand, there's the desire to bless them and help them get it right. And at the same time, their hands are tied because the child continues to choose the wrong thing. And so there's a desire to bless and encourage and empower. But because of the choices that the child are making, that parent is forced to bring discipline and punishment. That word wrath, that's exactly what this word is here. In other words, God will go to the nth degree to save a soul. But he cannot save a soul that will not choose him. Something that I've recently, over the past year and a half especially, the Holy Spirit showed me. I've had to walk through several difficult funerals over the past year and a half. And by difficult, obviously every funeral has its difficulties. But when I say difficult funeral moment, I say it because we often aren't sure about the eternal destiny of the individual. We don't know. Nobody can say, did they say yes to Christ before they died or did they not? And we really don't know. And I used to be very conflicted going into these these services because obviously I'm coming from the perspective of, you know, God loves us, wants to save it. And so it'd be a conflict for me and thinking, how do, I, how do I talk about this person? How do I offer hope to the family when we don't know? And I remember going into one particular service a couple years ago, and that was one of these situations I was perplexed. I was like, God, what do I do? I'm, you're a loving father. The last thing I want to do is stand up here with a room full of family and say, I have no clue if they're in heaven or hell. And I certainly don't want to stand up here and lie and say, well, praise God, we all know where they are. No, we don't. And it's a real thing, church. We don't know. Their loved one may be right now being tormented in fire that never ends, completely eternally separated from God without a chance of ever being reconciled to him. Now I got to bring comfort and I don't even know. So I was praying about it. It was just like, God, you got to help me out here. And the Holy Spirit spoke these words to my heart. He said, you're not the judge. And immediately I knew exactly what he meant. The love of God is what defines our father. It's not the punishment. It's not the law. It's not what we would call wrath. But it is his desire to save our soul, his love for us that defines his fatherhood. We do not know. We do not judge. We don't make that decision. God alone makes that decision. And it's between him and that individual. And I'm convinced today that one day you and I will stand in eternity going like this. How did you make it here? And it might even cause us to pause and go, am I in heaven or hell? Because <laughs> based on what I know, but aren't you glad that the shepherd never stops looking for you? He never stops looking for me. Even when I'm his enemy, even when my heart is turned against him, he's seeking to save me, seeking to rescue me. 
Do you talk about a release in those moments? To be able to stand in with courage and say, look, I don't know, you don't know, but we don't know everything. But here's what I do know. I do know that if there was a, a, a millimeter of a breath left, and in that millimeter of a breath, they had a revelation of the love of God, and they whispered to him in that moment the prayer of salvation, or they admitted his, his kingship, and his lordship over their lives in that, in that minute, God's like, I'm in. That's all I'm looking for. That's all I want. The difference is, is that their life passed at that moment. They never had a chance to live another second for God. But you and I have breathed that message, and now it's time for us to live for God. Why? Because we've been rescued. You know how many people, you watch shows all the time, I watch them all the time, where people get saved out of tragic situations. And what's, what's the common theme you hear post that near-death experience? I'm changing some things. I'll never be the same. People start giving stuff away. They recognize the priority of things that really, really matter. Church, that's every one of us. We've all been saved from the doorstep of death, redeemed from an eternity separated from God, rescued by his love, not because we deserved it, but because he loved us. And we say yes to Jesus, and now we've been rescued. I'm thankful for it today. So God's rescued us. As we close up, here's what I want you to know. Listen carefully to this statement. The value of salvation the value, how valuable salvation is. So the value of salvation is not dependent on the depth of our drama. Salvation, salvation is for everyone. So salvation does not become more valuable because your life is in a crisis. Salvation does not become more valuable because you're dealing with depression or despair or things are falling apart. The value of salvation is not connected to the depth of our drama. In other words, the deeper we get in drama, the more we need God. No. The people who are absolutely in oppression today by depression and disease need Jesus just as much as the person who is so successful that we'd all want to be like them. That seems to be happy filled with joy, has everything they need. But if they don't have Christ, they're no different than the person who's today wondering if they're going to make it to tomorrow. The depth of our drama has no value on salvation. We all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Maybe you came in today needing Jesus. Maybe you came in today having chosen Jesus. Every one of us needs Jesus. And what I love is that God makes this available to every one of us. It doesn't matter today if you would say, I don't even still know about God. I don't even know if I think he's real. That's all right. It doesn't make him not real. He still loves you. That's what I mean by that's all right, is that he still loves you. It's not all right because you're not experiencing the fullness of who you are yet. And God is real. Can I get a witness? God is real. And he loves you. What I'm saying is that it doesn't matter what we think. That does not impact how much God loves us. We all strayed and our shepherd 
comes after us. Let me finish with this scripture, and we're going to jump into more of this next week. Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. I want us all to read this out loud together. Replace our with me. Let's make it personal. Let's just read this together. For he has rescued me from the kingdom of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased my freedom and forgave my sins. Are you thankful today that you've been rescued? You are the one. When Jesus told the story in Luke 15, you're the one. I'm the one. I was that sheep. God, I'm forever grateful that you rescued me. That you brought me back, God. Brought me out of darkness into a real relationship with you, grateful Father. And I want to pray with you today. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm the one right now. I'm the lost. I'm the one. I've wandered off straight away. And there's a desire in your heart to be found. Number one, the shepherd's already looking for you. He's already coming after you. Number two, all you have to do is just do what the Bible says. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you'll be rescued. Rescued. So if you're here today and you're ready to be rescued, you're ready to be brought up, begin the journey out of that situation. Begin the journey out of those choices. Begin the journey out of that darkness into the light of God's Son. I want to pray with you. And we're going to pray that prayer together. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you're here and you say, that's me, I'm ready to be rescued. I'm going to ask you simply just to lift your hand in the air and put it right back down. That's me. I'm ready to be rescued. Here I am, Lord. Right over here, God. I'm ready to be rescued. So awesome. So excited for you. Anybody else before we pray today that would say, that's me. I've wandered off. Maybe you're in the process of wandering. You're like, I got I to make a U-turn in this right now. Head back. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Anybody else? Awesome. Church, isn't it a privilege to do what we're about to do? To pray with our friends and to walk through being rescued with them. Isn't it exciting? Will you stand with me? Let's pray this together. Lord, I thank you for allowing me to be a part of this moment right here. It is an honor honor and a privilege to pray this prayer with those who have raised their hand, God. And I know, I know the rescue work is already underway. We're about to cross over into that new moment of new life. We're so thankful for it, Lord. Just pray this prayer after me. Just say, Jesus, in my heart, I believe in you. With all my heart, I believe in you. I believe the Spirit of God raised you from the grave for you had given your life for my sins. So I'm asking you to forgive me for straying away. Forgive me of that sin. Restore my life in you. 
I'm inviting you to be my Savior. And I'm asking you to lead me in life. I will make you my Lord. Help me find other ones that also need rescue. Amen. Come on, somebody give Jesus a big cheer today.